and welcome to the other side of midnight. I'm going to be your host tonight. Uh, Richard's in a situation where he's uh, inhaling smoke from the fires in his area. And uh, tonight we're going to be going back to Mars with a slight detour because uh, tonight I'm going to be telling you a lot about me and who I am. And for those of you who are familiar with the show, you know that normally I'm near the technical dad that takes care of uh, the engineering of the audio for the other side of the news and the other side of midnight. I become the air director because Richard does most of the engineering with uh, my assistants. But uh, I felt that you guys needed to have another live show. I should have done the one with uh, uh, James Goodall. But... I let that fall through the cracks uh, because Jim and I had really great conversations uh, about John Lear and about Bob Lazar because uh, we could talk about that for days. But that's not what we're going to talk about tonight. So let me, for those who don't know who I am, <clears throat> my name's Keith Morgan. Uh, I'm an electronics technician from ABC News. I worked for ABC News for 30 years. 25 of those years were with Ted Koppel and Nightline, and Ted used to drop me off at my car after the show, and we used to talk about all kinds of stuff. Uh, he actually gave me the opportunity to do two shows. Uh, I have a BA in communications from Howard University in radio, TV, and film, and I started in 1974 at Howard University and finished my degree in 94 because uh, I spent most of my time helping to build Channel 32, Howard University's TV station, and get them on the air. And in 80, I, uh, I did a summer relief position at WRC, uh, NBC's O&O in Washington, D.C. But then I was doing on-air audio operations, and I really wanted to be in maintenance repairing this stuff. But that's what I ended up doing at ABC. Anyway... <clears throat> Um, I've been, uh, kind of working with this stuff when it comes to Mars for, since 1988. And there's a whole bunch of things that led me down this path. Um, the first thing that even got me started with this was me, uh, having a sighting in 1973 when I was in high school and I had gotten bused to High Point High School in Beltsville, Maryland. And High Point is called High Point for a good reason, because you're going to be on the second floor in Bellsville, Maryland, and see the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in D.C. That's how high up it was. And I got busted in the middle of my junior year, and the marching band at Northwest, and we had just finished Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I was sitting on top of the world because I did what I wanted to do. I said, this, I wanted to be in that parade. And then... I get to High Point, and I got in the marching band. We were finishing marching band practice one fall, and I'm sitting on the stairs, and I see this light at the horizon is zipping. And I say to one of the band members waiting with me, and I remember his name to this day. His name was Adite Chewy Chewy and we called him Chewy. And that was before Star Wars ever came out. And this thing is zipping. It makes a 90-degree turn straight up, goes up and makes a 45-degree angle back in the direction it was going, still climbing. Then it cuts back in the original direction it was going, but then climbing at another 45-degree angle. And now I'm standing up going, what the heck am I looking at? Because this thing is making turns at full speed. And retention of vision, you could see the angles on it and everything. And that's what got my curiosity up. But I kind of mm, dismissed it and asked my father, told my father about it when he picked me up. And he said, well, when I was a pilot, I used to see spots in front of my eyes. And I'm going, well, wait a minute. The other guy saw him too. He's got spots, the same spots in front of his eyes. Anyway, that's when I got my first taste of debunking from my own father. And then... <clears throat> As I went further down the road, I had other encounters and sightings. But then the thing that 
pushed me over the edge to, to really look into this was when Nightline did a show and they had Stanton Friedman and Phil Class on and they were talking about UFOs. And at that point in time, all the media always laughed at when they said UFOs. They always, little green men, blah, blah, blah. And <clears throat> Ted had asked Stanton a question about, uh, is there anything that you can tell me that would give me some substantial evidence to look at this with a, from a different light? Because uh, I know there can't be any hard evidence or anything, but is there anything you could tell me? And Stanton had told him about Betty and Barney Hill. And Stanton went off into Never Neverland talking about something, and I didn't understand why he didn't talk about Betty. So after the show, I went downstairs to the studio, and Ted met me in the hall, and I said, Ted, Stanton should have told you that Betty drew a star map that was... Uh, it, it was weird looking, but they couldn't place some of the stars. But then decades later, they found the stars that fit her map perfectly. And based on what they were looking at, they said, this was like looking at our solar system from Zeta Reticuli. And he said, well, why didn't Stanton say that? And I said, I have no idea. But as we're walking down the hall, Phil Class is coming out from the studio because Stanton was up on the third floor in the studio up there because he separate the guests so that they don't, you know, go with each other and in the same studio. <clears throat> and Phil comes down the hall and I tell him about my high school sighting and the light making the turns. And he looks at me and goes, oh, you saw a spaceship from Alpha Centauri. So then that's when I said, okay. I'm going to look into this and I'm going to investigate as hard as I can. I'm either going to prove him right or I'm going to prove him wrong. And as I started down that road, I came across Richard Hoagland's book, The Monuments of Mars, City on the Edge of Forever. I also got Light Years by Gary Kinder. It was about Edward Meyer and his uh, encounters with the Pleiadians and his photographs. And if you guys aren't familiar with him, uh, if you are, if you are familiar with the X Files and that poster that Mulder had that said "I want to believe," that poster is based on one of the renditions of his photographs. They were that sharp. As a matter of fact, um, Senator John Glenn, astronaut John Glenn, one of my childhood heroes, was on Nightline one night, and I came in and I talked to him and I said, "So, what do you think of this whole thing about UFOs?" And this is 19, October 1988. And he said, oh, um, I'm an agnostic when it comes to those kind of things. But he said, he's, I have friends that uh, told me say they see things, saw things, and I can't just dismiss them. So I said, <clears throat> I said, okay, is there anything that you have about these that you understand about them? He said, well, these most of these things are blurred, out of focus, photographs, balls of light. You can't make out what they are. And I said, well, have you seen the photographs by Edward Meyer, this Swedish farmer with one arm? He gets his film done at the local film store. He's got 35 millimeter stills, sharp as a tack, and he's got eight millimeter film footage showing these things in motion, doing some weird stuff. He said, no, I haven't. So it was a few days or a week later, I he was on again, and I had my coffee table book that's visitors from the Pleiades. So I decided to show him the pictures. And he's going through these things, and he's going, you know, if just one of these is real, this is fantastic. And he autographs the book. Anyway, later on, I find out Linda Moulton Howe is interviewing uh, Colonel Phil, uh, Philip Corso, and he wrote the day... The, day, the book, The Day After Roswell. And he tells his experience working at the Pentagon under General Trudeau and how he had to get, he had to get the stuff that was in a file cabinet that had pieces and parts from the crash of the Roswell crash in 1947 when the saucer crashed. 
and his was his job to disseminate this technology into our society through government contractors. And he's telling Linda Moulton Howe that he had conveyed this story to Senator Glenn, and he told Glenn that they had taken one of these disks, and he said, we called them wafers, but we now know they were large integrated circuits. And we took one of them, and we hooked it up to an electric golf cart. No batteries, just hooked it up to the electric golf cart, put a drop of water on it, and now we're driving around in this electric golf cart with just this disc and a drop of water on it. No batteries. And he said that when he told this story to Senator Glenn, Glenn said to him, well, I'm an agnostic when it comes to that kind of stuff. And at that moment, I knew that he was telling the truth. And I actually got to meet uh, Corso's son at an X conference. Uh, Stephen Bassett used to put on these X conferences out in Gaithersburg, and I would go to his, his conferences. As a matter of fact, um, Stephen used to send out press releases about um, meetings he was going to have with the press at the National Press Club, and nobody sent any reporters. But I'd get the press release, and I'd see it, and I would go because I thought that was a great source of information, especially now that I'm researching this stuff. And I just thought, you know, ABC missed out on having a great source of information and could have been ahead of the curve on all of this stuff, but they didn't do it. They just dismissed it. Okay, back to Mars. Anyway, um, after I had uh, shown Senator John Glenn the book and the pictures and everything, a Nightline did a show about Mars. Now, I didn't know they were doing a show about Mars, but I was talking to a Nightline writer, Steve Steinberg, and we had this little bet going. I said, did you see this tabloid article? It says that we received radio signals in 1924, came from Mars. And he says, oh, I don't believe that. And he said, but I said, the article says, uh, it was reported in the Scientific America and New York Times. He says, I don't believe it. And I said, if I go to the library and I find these articles, will you look at this with a more open mind? He said, oh, yeah. So I go to the library, and back then everything was stored on microfiche. So I had to look at these microscopic pictures of newspapers, and I started it January 1924, and I went through all of the articles, and they were talking about how we're going to listen in for signals from Mars because they it was at one of his closest points to the Earth. And they figured, because they thought they saw canals, that there was probably somebody living there. So I'm reading the articles. Calvin Coolidge asked for radio silence, and Calvin Coolidge was the president of the United States at the time that this took place. And at that time, in 1924, there weren't very many radios. Nowhere near what we got now. And... <clears throat> So he asked for radio silence. Then they asked Charles Francis Jenkins, who I later discovered was one of the inventors of the first mechanical television. And <clears throat> the sync signals that we use in television, the vertical sync, horizontal sync, and blanking pulses, we still use in television to this very day. They're now digital, but they're still there. And he used it to synchronize his mechanical television. And they had asked him if he would use his new radio photoscopic blah, 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 blah device to save these signals onto a six-inch wide film. And they kept saying, okay, nothing yet. We haven't heard anything. And as it got closer, Mars got closer. Finally, they said, oh, we're receiving these signals that are coming in the form of dots and dashes. Some were thinking it was Morse code. And I'm like, when did... Morse get to Mars to teach the Martians Morse code. Didn't make any sense, right? But this is the thinking back then. We now would look at it as ones and zeros, but back then it was Morse code because they didn't see anything in digital. Anyway, um, the as I went through to August, August 28th, 1924, there's an article Charles Francis Jenkins is quoted 
saying, we don't think these signals have anything to do with Mars. Quite likely it's heterodyning or interference of radio signals. As for the image of a crudely drawn man's face, it appears at intervals of roughly every half hour. It's a freak, something we can't explain. So every half hour, what looked like a profile of a face kept showing up and it kept repeating itself every half hour. Of course, now today I get these geniuses who say you can't transmit an image of a face in the space. You got to know the ter person's terminal height and width. And I'm going, that just tells me you don't know the first thing about television. Okay. Because if I wanted to transmit a signal into, into space with a face or an image, I don't need to know the person's terminal width and height. If I choose to do send a million pictures and what we call high definition television is 1024 by 768, 1024 uh, horizontal lines by um, <clears throat> 768 vertical lines because old black and white and color TV used to be 512 lines. So the resolution was low, but now we've got this high definition stuff. So if I transmit a million pictures, and each one having a position in this transmission, one by one, two by two, three by three, all the way up to a million by a million, the one that is a 1,024 by 1,024, and you're looking at it on your high-definition TV, at some point, the first pixel is going to start on the left and right across to the right, and it's going to write down the screen until you see the picture reveal itself. And then when it gets to 768 lines, it's going to scroll up, until it completes the picture. And then after that, it's gonna be garbage for some amount of time. And then it's gonna drift back into place and then it's gonna do it again. And it's gonna repeat at that interval again and again and again and again. So what they were getting was an intelligent signal because nature doesn't do things like that and make images that look like a face. So what happens when we get to Mars in 1976? What's staring up at us? A face? Oh, wait, it's just a trick of light and shadow. If there was a second photograph at a different angle, the face would disappear. Well, there was a photo, second photograph at a different sun angle, and the face didn't disappear. But NASA kept pushing this thing about, oh, it's just a trick of light and shadow. And these two guys, Vincent DiPietro and Greg Mullinar, they looked at the first photo, and they ran an algorithm they had created at that time. It was called the Starburst. And it was able to take the details in the shadowed area of the eye socket of that face and pull the details out. And there was this perfect circle in that eye socket like a pupil. So now they're excited. They go looking for a second photograph. The first one they had was filed under head. So they go looking for a second one. But it was filed off in Never Neverland, but they found it. They ran that algorithm again, and guess what? They found that perfect circle in that eye socket again. What's the odds? So then they start looking at the rest of the area, and then they find a five-sided pyramid. And they thought that was unusual. So along comes Mr. Hoagland, who accepted the, the uh, trick of light and shadow that NASA was putting out, he saw Vincent DiPietro and Greg Molinar's presentation about what they had discovered. And that's when he did a 180 degree flip because when he saw the details of that five-sided pyramid and he looked at the rest of the area and started finding other objects that did not belong, okay, that's when he really jumped on it and started to look at it from a mathematical standpoint and that's when he started finding too many mathematical coincidences. Anyway, <clears throat> Nightline, after, they did, <clears throat> after I brought these articles back and I showed them to the Nightline writer, he says, oh, wow, we can use these in Thursday's show. And I'm like, what's Thursday's show about? Oh, it's about Mars. This is its closest point to the Earth. So now I'm making copies of these articles for the producer and the directors and, and for Ted. And Ted used a lot of the stuff in the opening of the show. I also had the Monuments of Mars at this point in time, the first edition. And they took an image of the face 
out of it. They took the image of the five-sided pyramid along with the image that had the overlay or outline of the five-sided pyramid so you could see what it looked like. And it looks like the Chrysler symbol, Pentagon with the star in the middle. It's pointing directly north. Okay, odds again. How's it going to be pointing north? Then <clears throat> Richard starts looking at this and he starts writing about it in the next edition of his book because I'm in his second edition on. He writes a little blurb about me in The Dark Mission as well. I'm in Graham Hancock's book, The Mars Mystery, on page 110 under verification where he's talking about how I duplicated Earl Torrance's work on the DNM pyramid, the five-sided pyramid. And <clears throat> I wrote an algorithm that all it did was take the back angle and it ran algorithms on a different angles because Earl discovered that as you divided the angles within this thing by one another, they work out the known mathematical constants to three decimal place accuracy. That's highly unusual. And it keeps repeating over and over again the square root of two, square root of three, square root of five, e divided by pi, e divided by the square root of five, and the numbers keep repeating over and over and over again, no matter how you do the math within it, to three decimal places. So my algorithm that I created when I went back to Howard in 93 and minored in computer science, it duplicated what Earl did, and it spit out all these numbers showing how close it was to the actual uh, <clears throat> constants. And then, and then I changed the back angle by a degree and ran the numbers again. And they just went off in the never, never, never. They were nowhere near three decimal place accuracy to those constants anymore. In other words, nature would have been, had to been too accurate to create something that perfect that would give you that kind of mathematical layout. It was just impossible. But again, is dismissed. In 1988, December of 1988, after Nightline did the show, Ted actually interviewed uh, Thomas Paine, ex-administrator of NASA. And he asked him about, what about this face? They put the face up and he said, oh, we think that's a, a windblown anomaly, a trick of light and shadow. And then Ted said, what about this five-sided pyramid? And he said, oh, that's a windblown anomaly, too. <laughs> and then at the end of the show, Ted gave Hogan's book credit for where the pictures came from. And I decided to write to Mr. Hoagland to tell him, hey, Nightline gave your book credit on the air for where the pictures came from. And I sent it through his publisher because I didn't know where he was. And his publisher forwarded it to him. And then he calls me tells me he's invited out to Goddard Space Flight Center to speak to the scientists and engineers about what they had discovered in relationship to the face and the other structures on Mars. But he said there was a rumor that uh, they were trying to pull the rug out from under it because they didn't want it to go on. So I said, let me tell the producer. So I go to World News, and there's a producer, Leo Meilinger, and I said, Leo, uh, this is what's going on. And he said, keep me informed. I said, okay. So now, Hoagland's people sent out press releases announcing the briefing at Goddard. Then NASA calls Hoagland and says, don't worry, everything's fine. It's still on. It's still on. Richard had sent me a video of Dr. Mark Carlotto's 3D shape from shading of the face. Dr. Carlotto works for TESS. They do Landsat satellite spot imaging. So when you take a picture that high up, the curvature of the planet and the curvature of the lens distorts the geometry of the photo. So you have to run it through an algorithm to flatten it out and, and space everything properly based on the numbers that you get back. It's called orthorectification. Now the picture that NASA kept putting out with the face on it, it had data dropout. So you had all this salt and pepper noise, these black spots on it looked like you know, pepper. And it wasn't orthographically corrected. They just, this is what they handed out. They could have put a janitor in a closet with a, a Atari computer or something, and it could have had it done in a, a month or two, but they never did that. 
So here we have Dr. Carlotto. He took the, the numbers that he got from Rand Corporation, this guy named Merck Davies, and he plugged them into his algorithms to flatten out the Sidonia region and get everything spaced properly. He also ran another algorithm, which does pixel summing from the pixels around the holes and fills in the hole. And this works perfectly. I mean, I, the, our graphic artists at ABC, was they were crazy with this technology because they could just swirl their little styluses over their tablets and erase text off of pictures and it never looked like the text was ever there. This is how powerful this technology was. Anyway, um, we're like four minutes out from the uh, break, but I'm going to continue till we hit the break. So now with this kind of uh, technology to be able to take that raw data photo that NASA had orthographically corrected so everything's spaced properly and all of the spots are gone, it was there. The technology was there. So Dr. Carlotto, when I was at Goddard, he gave me one of the orthographically correct images, and it was a big picture, too. And the thing is, is that <clears throat> after Richard said that they told him that the, the meeting was still on, I told the producer, he got a camera crew assigned, and it was on a Monday, it was my day off, so I went out to Goddard. I'm sitting in a packed auditorium with scientists and engineers, people standing around the walls, and I'm wondering, you know, where's my camera crew? There's two non-professional cameras in there videotaping, but there's no other cameras. Even though Richard and his people got confirmations that they were gonna have reporters there from CBS, NBC, uh, Washington Times, Washington Post, it, Nobody showed up except all the NASA people showed up and crammed the auditorium packed. And I'm going, okay, maybe ABC thought it was too stupid to send a crew for. So I thought maybe I should, shouldn't even worry about this. But I get home, I turn the TV on, and Dan Rather says, today NASA held a briefing about Mars. And I'm going, wait a minute, there was no camera crews there. What am I looking at? Turned out that NASA sent out a press release that very day announcing a briefing about Mars at the National Press Club. So everybody who was supposed to go out to Goddard turned around and went down to the National Press Club, including my camera crew. But I didn't get that word, so I'm out at Goddard wondering, where is my camera crew? And then I realized it was an egghead maneuver to get everybody away from Goddard because they didn't want anybody seeing what these guys knew. Why? Was it going to make them some kind of heroes or something and make NASA look bad? No. They know what they're looking at. They can't be that stupid. So when we come back from break, because we're about a minute out from break, I'm going to then tell you what I did to discover the Morgan curve on Mars, because I was really pissed that NASA would pull something like this. Because you know, when, when I was growing up, NASA was my hero. They were like, you know, these guys are out there. They're looking for the, the answers. They're looking for new life, new civilization, whatever Shatner said in Star Trek. But I'm looking for this. And I'm like, you know, these guys are putting their necks on the line. But, <clears throat> you know, you, you never know why things are done the way they're done. But it just, it just, it irritated me to know that our space agency would actually cover up something as bold as that. So you're listening to The Other Side of Midnight. My name's Keith B. Morgan. I am your guest host for tonight. I'm usually your engineer, but I'm doing both tonight. And we'll be right back after the break. or no vax, you have mandates or no mandates, you have uh, 
uh, pharmacies who are not allowed to make uh, pres prescriptions on substances that they don't, you know, <laughs> that big pharma doesn't want them to have anymore. Somebody's in control of something. There's going to be a time, follow the money, where you're going to say, hey, something really inappropriate's gone on here. We're being controlled. I mean, it's, it's one thing to, to have mandates and all these, and another thing to shut people up who say, I would like to talk about this a little bit. No, you don't. You're not going to talk. And, and so we have, uh, you know, people like uh, Dr. Mercola being shut down. That is not us. That's not how we operate. People ought to at least be allowed to have an opinion and state the opinion. And, and have uh, say, uh, I'd like you to know that a good immune system is going to help you. So here are the things for a good immune system. But I'm sorry, you can't buy them anymore because we're not allowed to. So something's going on. So that, my friend, is going to be exposed. That's another thing that you're seeing for a while and it won't last forever. So it's there now. But believe me, it ain't going to stay because the light's going to be turned on. Just like the, the abuse of the, uh, that I've just talked about, about women and kids for priests and all, it's here in an ugly way, and eventually it's going to be seen. Brian says there'll be revelations, there may be even a movie about it. It's going to be the same thing that happened when we found out with tobacco, that they were, of course, addicting our children, and they had a cartoon, and they knew that it caused cancer. And you know what happened with that. We shut that basically shut that down and now we don't smoke anymore. Hi there, this is Lee Carroll. I want to tell you about the other side of the news. In these days where we're not really hearing much good news or perhaps even what's really happening, that's where the other side of the news is different. And in that, you're going to hear not only controversy, but you're going to hear great things. There are going to be joyful things, too. I just got done with one of the broadcasts, and I encourage you to take a listen with myself and Monica. But the other side of the news, that's what we need more of in these times. And welcome back to the other side of midnight. Um... Let's see, where did I leave off? Okay, so we got manipulated away from Goddard Space Flight Center. At least my camera crew did. And, and I was so livid. I was, I was, I said, I know this was just these guys trying to keep us from knowing something. I didn't know what at the time. And since Dr. Mark Carlotto gave me that orthographically correct photo, I decided I was going to tell the president, vice president, and head of ABC News, the, the president of Cap Cities ABC and the vice president of Cap ABC, uh, Mr. Burke Murphy, and the head of ABC News was Rune Arledge. And most of you, if you watched Monday Night Football back in the day, you'd hear at the end, directed by Rune Arledge, because he went from being a director for sports and Monday Night Football to being head of ABC News. So I wrote a nice little letter, and I took that orthographically correct photograph that Dr. Carlotto gave me, and I stuck it in our Xerox machine, and I said, I'll make copies of this and send them copies and point out stuff in here for them. And when that copy came out, dumb me, I forgot to push the photo button. So this copy comes out black and white, not multiple gray, black and white. And I'm looking at this thing going, I can't use this. But then I notice that there's these little mounds that are jutting all this light out. And then there's the big structures like the face and the five-sided pyramid and another bigger pyramidal structure. And they're all jutting this light out. And if I played connect the dots from around the other pyramid where the smaller mounds were, I could make a perfect one-third to almost a half a circle. And I'm going, wow. That's interesting. And then I started to measure the distance between them as they start out from around this big pyramid. And they're doubling in their spacing. They're exponentially spaced. And I'm going, okay, am I reading something into this? 
the distance between the first and second doubles between the second and third, the distance between the second and third doubles between the third and the fourth, and the distance between the fourth and the fifth didn't quite match the doubling. And I'm going, why doesn't this fit? Skip it, go to the sixth one, and it's perfectly double the distance between the third and the fourth. And I'm saying, okay, am I reading something into this now? And I'm just making stuff up. But then you draw a line from the sixth one through the fourth one, and you keep going along that same axis, same equal distance, and boom, you're dead center in another one. Connect those three, you got a ray across the curve. Basic high school geometry. I'm going, whoa, this is interesting. So now I've got something to work with. And I meet Earl Torn when Richard was doing a press conference at the National Press Club. Earl Torn was one of the people there with him. And I show Earl Torn this curve and the ray across the curve. And he spends the weekend looking at this. And then Richard calls me and says, hey, uh, you need to contact Earl. And I said, why? He said, you discovered something. So I call Earl and he said, yeah, I found the logarithmic function of E. Not only is your curve there, but the X and Y axis to plot these, this curve is there. And I'm going, what the heck are you talking about? I wasn't thinking X and Y. And he told me what he did. I took my ruler out and went, and I was like, oh, wow. And that's when I fell off the chair and I was like, there's no way in heck he could have manipulated anything to make this work. Because he said all he did was take the logarithmic function of E graph, lay it down over the area, and everything fell into place. And I'm going, I found the majority of the mounds. How could he make all of this stuff fit? He did, can't move these objects up there. We didn't take the pictures. Uh, I took my picture back out, and sure enough, it fit. So now... I'm looking at something that actually is 100% proof that the objects sitting on Mars are artificial. Somebody constructed them. Now I wanted to know who constructed them. But of course, NASA wasn't going to give us anything. And in the second edition of Richard's book, The Mayans of Mars, that's when he starts to talk about me. And he points out that, you know, um, he, all he says is, we're looking at the curve. He talks about all the other stuff I did, like helping set up Dunbar High School's enterprise mission. And we had students uh, role-playing as though they were on Starship Enterprise. And I actually set up a satellite dish to receive NASA Select off the satellite so they could actually listen into NASA as they were doing things. And the whole thing with the... Um, the whole thing with uh, the finding this, I knew at that moment it wasn't a joke. It wasn't something that somebody was trying to make up or anything like that. I actually talked to a guy one time and I was in a 7-Eleven and we were just shooting the breeze and I mentioned the stuff about NASA and the, the Viking and stuff like that. And he said, yeah, he said he was on, he worked for NASA and he said that they actually got something green to grow at both landing sites. After they scooped up the soil, they put it in a container. Then they hit it with some, I guess, uh, water that had been sterilized with no bacteria or anything in it. But they said they got something to green to grow. But then NASA dismissed those findings because they said, oh, it must be due to contamination. It, it must have been contamination. Stuff wasn't sterilized properly. And this guy was livid. He said, they lied. I know it was sterilized properly because I was the one that sterilized it. And he said, they lied about it. And they actually got something green to grow. Why would you lie about finding life on another planet in this solar system? That does not make sense. You should be jumping with joy. No, they don't want to tell you because if they tell you that they found life next door, 
Look at all those other stars out there. If you found life on next door, what do you think is out there in all those trillions of stars that we can see? Okay. There's got to be life. And they keep telling us, oh, life has to live in, uh, you got to have the right atmosphere and the right temperature. And so we got bacteria living in nuclear reactors. They've got amoebas or whatever on sticking on the glass of the space station out in the vacuum and they're alive. Okay. And they're saying, oh, that must have been, they must have been pulled up into the atmosphere by high winds or whatever and somehow got up there on the space station. Come on, guys. Life wants to live anywhere it damn well pleases, and it doesn't have to abide by your rules. And then when they got way down in the ocean, and there's volcanic vents going off, and there's no sunlight, but there's plant-like worms down there. There's crabs under crushed death situations, and there's life. You cannot say life doesn't want to live any place it damn well pleases, Okay. Because it does. Anyway, back to the Mars. So, <clears throat> they didn't tell us that they found life on Mars. But then, all of a sudden, we come across... What did we come across? We came across a meteor. And it, they found it in the Arctic or weather, because that's normally where they find them, because they show up better in the, in the white when they hit the ice or whatever, and snow. And they look at it under a microscope, and they go... Wow, look at these little microscopic fossils in here. This looks like life. They bring that out, and it immediately gets stomped on. Why? Because they can't find life anywhere else, or it's going to mess up the paradigm. So they got to keep sticking it under the ground and saying, nope, 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 that isn't, that isn't, can't be, nope, nope, doesn't fit, doesn't fit. Well, when people started pushing for NASA to take better pictures of the face, and I was one of them, I wrote a letter to Congressman Robert Rowe telling him what was going on. And I said, we need to get NASA to take more pictures of this face because we need to know what's going on. So NASA hemmed and hawed for the longest time, and then they decided to take this picture. But they rotated the craft off ender, supposed to look straight down. So now it's looking back at the face at an angle. And they cranked the pedestal level or the black level up so high that the contrast level went away. And this thing was so grayed out and you could actually see the fingerprint of the CCD, the charge coupled device that was picking up the image. You see all these streaks, vertical lines, because it was lousy. Then the European Space Agency comes along. What do these guys do? Oh, they take a better picture of the face. Great, now we got a good picture. But what do these rocket scientists do? They put this thing out upside down and said, oh, see, there's nothing there. So now NASA, not wanting to be left behind, decides they're going to play catch up. So now they take a better picture of the face. And what do these rocket scientists do? Knowing this thing is aligned north, but offset to north by 19.5 degrees, they put it out upside down and said, oh, see, there's nothing there. You spin that sucker around 180 degrees and you look at this thing. It's not a head on. You're looking at the other half of the face is a profile. You're looking at a face from the side. And right there where the ear should be, there is an upside down check mark ridge. And it shouldn't be there. You've got the neck that comes down with a curvature for the collarbone. You've got the chin that comes down. You've got the eye on that side that comes over. Hairline across the top. Too many details. Okay. Anyway. <clears throat> point being... NASA didn't know about the curve, even though Hoagland said we're looking at the curve. They had no idea. So these geniuses decide to take a high-res shot across that big pyramid that the curve starts out from around. Oh, wait a minute. What are these things running down the side of the pyramid towards each one of these mounds? There's these humps or ridges. They look like tunnels that are arched, and they come down and they go across and connect to the first one, which is 
more circular. Another one comes down another section, goes out and across the plane, connects to the second mound, which is slightly more oval. And then a third one comes down and connects to the back of the third mount, which is clearly oval, which actually looks like the one that's at the end of the ray because they took a high res shot across that. And I'm going, no way. Nature could not have done that. There's no way nature came across and said, oh, let's make these ridges connect these mounds at the end. And these things aren't like runoff of this thing when they're gullies taking dirt off the side of this big pyramid and piling them up at the bottom. No, they're too far away from this guy to even start to pile up there. They should have piled up a lot sooner and a lot closer and connected directly to the pyramid if that was the case. But no, these things are out across the plain and these little paths go out towards them. I knew at that point we are being lied to. And I just get I I just don't get it. So on my section in Radio with Pictures, if you go to the other side of midnight.com and then you click on tonight's show banner that says, uh, Meanwhile, back on Mars, that will take you to the show page. If you scroll down a little bit and you look at the fast links and it says links to items and you click on Keith, my name, it will take you down to my stuff that I posted. And the first thing you see is me and Ted Koppel. And that's when I was younger, <laughs> much younger. And uh, just want to let you know that, yeah, I did work for ABC News. And then in the second part, if you look at the, the banner, you'll see the face on Mars. Well, this is the black and white versions of the face on Mars. And... The first one you can see, this is when NASA took the better picture in 2001. And you look at this, the overlay that I put on it in the second picture, and you can see the ridge for the ear, the eye, the chin, the neck with the curvature for the collarbone, and the hairline across the top. And I'm going, there's no way I could just sit here and trace this stuff out like that. I mean, it's it's... You can't have that. But see, there's more than one image in, involved in here, not just the head on and the profile, but in the upper left hand quadrant is the Im image of a lion's face. That's why the broad nose is on the left half or the right half. And I'm looking at this and all you had to do is make a mirror image of it and boom. You could see the face. Yeah, you could see this was a, a face. And NASA's constantly been dismissing this stuff. But now, wait a minute. The Navy came forward and told us that UAPs, UFOs, were real. We don't know what these things are. Oh, come on, guys. You know what they are. You've known since 1947 or probably before that. But you've been telling the public one thing and playing this game. Oh, don't let them see what we're doing over here. We'll let them see this over there and they'll think everything is hunky dory. Well, they know that this thing is real. If I found that curve and those mounds and they took that high-res shot across that big pyramid. You think these idiots don't know what they're looking at? They know. Now, <clears throat> there's a whole bunch of other details I can go into. I'm about 10 minutes out from going to the top of the hour break. But I'm going to give you a little bit of this. Because later I'm going to get into some of the stuff that ABC came across and I kept wondering why this stuff never went national, always went local to an affiliate in some other city. Now, you guys think when I tell people I work for ABC, they say, oh, you work for channel such and such. No, channel such and such gets programming from our network, your soap operas and all of that stuff. And your your primetime shows at eight o'clock on 
they come from the network, which we provide the programming for. They're just a little TV station that broadcasts, rebroadcasts what we send them. So people don't understand how a network works. So they think when they do a press conference and the locals come, oh, we we got out there. We've we've let everybody know. No. Only your little town knows or your little city knows, but you haven't made it to national coast to coast. That's when you have to hit stuff like World News Tonight, uh, NBC Nightly News, you know, the stuff that comes from the networks, they that encompasses the entire country. But you can't keep people hidden or things hidden from people if you put it out there. And there's technologies that have been suppressed and people say, oh, it's just conspiracy stuff. No, it's not conspiracy stuff. I watched all this stuff take place, but we're sticking with Mars for right now. So I'm about nine minutes out now, but if you go down to item number three, that image is the Morgan curve. And you can see the X and Y axis. And that Y axis went through that fifth mound. It didn't fit the exponential spacing because I kept going, why didn't this thing fit? Because it was part of the Y axis. It goes through two mounds in the city square. And the city square are four, four objects that are spaced, how did Rich say, orthogonally. They look like the number four in dice. So you go through two of those. You go through a big bump on the corner of the pyramid, the big pyramid that's right up against it. You go through that fifth mound and you end up dead center on that five-sided pyramid. And I'm going, this this is just crazy. This is this is absolute proof that this is totally artificial. The x-axis, the the at the end of the x-axis, the pyramid up in the upper left-hand corner. That goes through two other mounds and then all the way over to the fort, to the tip. And that's that triangular set of walls that has a 45-degree angle in one of, a, in one of the corners. Mm. So that is the Morgan curve. And if you click on the picture, it'll blow it up so you can see more details. I also have an animation. And further down in my stuff, I have links to, the, to my website and to the, my YouTube channel where you can actually look at the Goddard Space Flight Center uh, briefing that Richard held where my camera crew and the rest of the media didn't show up. And you can also see the uh, Lewis Research Center briefing that Richard gave, where the director stood up, introduced Mr. Hoagland to all of the employees. This thing was so important, they had a number for all of the employees to sign off their, their time to attend this. They had posters up. And they had it on closed circuit TV to other areas of the complex. And he says, he gives Mr. Hoagland's background, working with Walter Cronkite, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then he makes a statement about, and Mr. Hoagland's been successful in convincing the president to state a return to Mars is our main goal. And the president at the time was my mom's old boss, George H. Bush. My mom worked for Central Intelligence for 38 years. And I actually met him at ABC, but he was vice president of the United States at that point in time under Reagan. And I said, yeah, my mom worked under you when you were director of central intelligence. And he said, oh, yeah, what's her name? Jean Morgan. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he autographs a card. He gave it to me. I gave it to my mother several years ago. I said, Mom, where's that card I gave you from George Bush? Oh, I put it with the picture picture and she pulls out a picture and here he is giving her an award of central intelligence so I said I guess he did know her that was the kind of clearance I had I had White House clearance I had Capitol Gallery pass clearance I had DC police pass clearance so I had you know nice clearance thing is that George Bush said something to me when we would talk and he made some comment it's like he was trying to get something off his chest. He said, if the American people knew what I had done, uh, not what he had done, excuse me, what we had done, they would run us out of town on a rail, tarred and feathered. 
And I wasn't going to jeopardize my security clearance to say, what the hell are you talking about? But it was something is like he had to get off his chest. I don't know what it was. And we may never find out, but it was something that the American people would not have put up with. That's all I know. Anyway, um, back to my images. Um, the fourth image, these are the first three mounds of the curve. And this is the high-res shot that NASA took across the big pyramid, which is over on the right. And you can see the three mounds. They've got the white circles around them. The green, the green circles are around the four mounds in the city square. And one of them, the one to the lower right of the four, has got a triangular set of walls on it just like the fort, which is much, much bigger. And I'm going, that's too coincidental. It even has a 45 degree angle on it, just like the fort, but it's smaller. And if you look very carefully, you'll see the ridges running down the side of this big pyramidal structure, going out across the flat plain and connecting to these guys. And the third one comes down and he connects to that mound at the end, the third mound. And you can see there's like an impact crater that took place right against that. Well, <clears throat> now this is all, you know, right there in front of us. But NASA keeps saying it's natural, it's natural, it's natural. No, it's not. There's stuff sitting in Utah that just... I, I have a link at the end of my items that will, you can look at a PDF, two PDFs. One is the Morgan curve, and I go through all the stuff in that. Also cover the Badlands Guardian, which most of you guys don't even know about. And I also have one to my Utah experience where there's all this stuff there that just, it's artwork, and nobody sees it. And they're going, oh, no, that's just a natural formation, is it? No. Again, stuff sitting right under our nose. The Badlands Guardian. I introduced that to the Ancient Aliens, the History Channel's Ancient Aliens in 2018 at the Alien Con. And it was so impactful on um, uh, Eric Von Danigan, Chariot of the Gods author. He goes, where is this? Where is this? Because they didn't know anything about it. I'm sitting there getting bored to death listening to them talking 1980s rhetoric. And I'm going, come on, guys, where's your current stuff? They didn't know about the Morgan curve either. And then when I confronted Travis Taylor and uh, David Childred Hattress and David Barr, and I said, you guys don't get it. We are not alone. We have never been alone, and we never will be alone in this universe. Next thing I know, executive producer Kevin Burns is yelling across the lobby when I'm walking through the lobby going, hey, 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 we're definitely going to contact you. We are definitely going to contact you. Didn't contact me. They contacted Hoagland, but they never contacted me. And then Kevin passed away from a a heart attack in uh, 2020, I think it was, or yeah, or just before 2020, I think it was 2019. And um, so he never got in contact with me, but it would have been nice. I could, but I know enough people on their ancient alien staff to push things forward. And we're coming up on the break here. And I'm going to pick that back up, and we're going to go back to Mars again, and I'm going to continue with what I discovered. Okay, so you're listening to The Other Side of Midnight. My name's Keith Morgan, and I hope I'm not boring you guys, because if I can get to it, I'm going to tell you guys about technologies that are coming out that if you invest in, you will make a million bucks, like I pushed my portfolio to by investing in things I want to tell. All right, you're listening to The Other Side of Midnight.
Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>